Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm 119. It's basically in the middle of your Bible, um, Psalm 119. And um, uh, find your place there at around verse uh, 49. Uh, The large numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are uh, the verses, which were added after the Bible was put together to help us find our way and be able to to talk about it more easily. So it's, it's a good help for us. You might be familiar with the expression, home is where the heart is. Uh, it's a memorable, memorable way of thinking about the people who are uh, endeared to us, right? Those that we love, those that where we find comfort. It's a general truth. It just simply means uh, home, wherever you are in the world, your home is usually the place where you find the greatest joy and the strongest emotional pull, right? For the Christian, our home is with the Lord, And so while we live in this world, we have a purpose in mind to invite lots of people, lots of friends to find their home with the Lord too. I remember living at college and my mom and dad, uh, my dad was in the Air Force and, uh, and as he retired, uh, he, uh, he finished up his time in Maryland, Frederick, Maryland. And so we moved there after my senior year in college and I did a gap year and then I went to college. I'm senior in high school. I did a gap year there, and then I went down to Tennessee for college, and it was about an eight-hour drive. And so uh, we made this drive um, from Maryland and down past Roanoke and down to Tennessee, and um, there and back, I have more times than I can count. And um, uh, side note, we, we, our car broke down at the same gas station about four times, five times over several years. We became personal friends with the owners of the gas station, who are very kind to this uh, these college kids, me and my sister, um, who found our uh, temporary home there several times. <laughs> in fact, even when we didn't break down, we became endeared to them and we would just stop by and of course fill up our tank, but also just go in and say hello and, and uh, remember the, the bad old days. So, um, but you know, oftentimes when we would come home from school, we'd have friends that were in school there, and either they were not able to fly home to where they were going um, or whatnot. And so they'd just come home with us for Thanksgiving or different holidays or, uh, or whatnot. And so over the years, I mean, we invited many people home, and they'd do the drive with us, and, um, which is great, because then you could just keep driving and just rotate drivers. You don't really have to stop except for gas and and to offload some stuff occasionally, right? And so, um, so we would just go home and we'd invite our friends, and, but in a much better way, in a, in a greater, more joy-filled way. Our mission as Christians on this earth, knowing that our home is not here, but is in heaven. Heaven is the, the place we think of, but really our home is, while we are here, it's with the Lord. And it's our greatest privilege to invite as many friends home through helping them see what a wonderful God we serve and that he is availed himself to everyone who would call upon his name. Amen. We need to remember as Christians that home is where the heart is. The apostle Paul had this similar sort of desire. He, he, uh, he desired to be home and be with the Lord, not in any sort of, uh, morbid or inappropriate way, but he he just, he loved God so much and he was coming to the end of his life and he's like, you know, maybe he's thinking something like, I'm tired. I I creak in places where I didn't used to creak. I, uh, I don't remember things like I used to remember them. 
There's so much pain in this world. He's been shipwrecked. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's like, I just want to go home. And he says, but I know that's not God's purpose for me yet. Currently, God has me here. How do I know? Well, because I'm writing this letter. God has me here and he has me here for you. And so while I do desire to depart and be with the Lord, it's better that I'm here. And friend, every one of us who longs for home should live our life saying, even while I, I want to be home, for now, it's better that I'm here. For you, church. For you, neighbor who does not know the Lord. For you, co-worker who hasn't been illuminated by the Spirit of God to know the wonderful saving love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so then he challenges them. He's not knowing how much I want to be home, but that I'm not. I'm here for you. Let your manner of life be worthy of it. Not, not worthy of me and my investment in you, although that's true. Worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the reason that God's keeping me here for now. Live in such a way that the one in Jesus and the ones in Christian community who have and are investing in your spiritual growth live in such a way that we all have ample cause to glory in Jesus. Stand firm in the midst of this onslaught of, of mockery from those who who can't stand the truths of the gospel, let alone the God who gave us his word. Stand firm and be encouraged. The psalmist is in a similar way saying the same kind of thing, right? You might think, you might say, what Paul is saying in Philippians and plenty of other places is an application of what he's gleaned from the scriptures that he had to read. He's applying principles from the Psalms in his ministry to the church. And so as we read in verses 49 through 64, we're, we're, we're coming in in the middle of the Psalm or toward the, the end of the latter the, the, of the first part. And we're learning some incredible things about our relationship with the Lord, abiding in Christ, and remembering the things that give us purpose and peace. Psalm 119, 49 through 56, or 49, we'll read through verse 64. The psalmist says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. 
The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Brother and sister, friend, you will find purpose and peace when you remember God's promises. You, you will find purpose and peace when you remember God's promises. Because when we remember, that means when we think back on with an intention to apply and act. It's not just remembering a random uh, sports statistic. There's something that we want to do with the knowledge and the experience that we have in our life. So we remember in order to apply. We remember in order to bolster our confidence in the Lord. And so as we've been looking at Psalm 119, just to kind of pull some things together and see where we're at today, we, we've seen that, that joy and, and supernatural blessing. That's another way in a New Testament way you might say happiness in Jesus is a, is a way of sort of casually defining blessing. Joy and supernatural blessing come from cultivating an undivided heart for the Lord's promises. And, and, and we do this, we cultivate our hearts by making repeated decisions. Now here's what I, I want you to see. There's action in here for us. We, we make repeated decisions to look at, which means you read it or you hear it. So many ways that you can take in the Bible these days. Technology, use it as your friend to help you look at, read, remember, hear God's word. And so we, we, we look at it with our eyes, we hear it with our ears, and we believe it, and then we remember it. So you're seeing here our, 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 our eyes, our mind being instructed, and our heart in belief, and then our feet ready to obey. You remember some things we talked about last week? And we remember that everything God said is true and it is best because he is true. He is perfect. He is righteous. And anything that flows from the mouth of God is true and perfect in every way. And so as we grow in our understanding of God's ways, as, as, as deepening our belief system of everything that God has said, we, we repeatedly put God's purpose Per, uh, promises into practice. We purposely put God's principles into practice, right? We're just, you can't do it all at one time from starting from square one. So square one to square two, square two to square three, but it's this, uh, it's this continuation of learning. So in other words, when you get to, to, to square three, well, you're expected to remember and put into practice what you learned at square one and square two. And so we continually grow in, in, in this progressive knowledge and progressive application and obedience in our lives. We repeatedly put it into practice and we realize, which means we begin to see and understand not now just through, through reading about God, but through knowing God personally, we realize and we experience God's faithfulness. We, we reap eternal reward. We reap, we, we, we reap peace 
during our trials. We find that to be true every time. We find that to be true every time. So as we cultivate an undivided heart for the Lord's promises, we learn to delight in the counsel of God's word. And we pray, as we talked about last week, we pray for progress in Christian maturity. Why? Because we have come to know, we've come to understand that our increasing understanding is solidified by repeated and increasing obedience, which the Holy Spirit, who is given to believers as a deposit, enables. Right? It's like any sport that you play or any action that you plan to remember, you do slowly and deliberately, repeatedly, so that your brain develops muscle memory. In other words, if a person were to start working out, or so I've heard, (laughs) you're not focusing on lots of weight right away. You're focusing on how to do the reps correctly, how to do the motion properly, how to hold the the barbell properly, right? If you're doing a bench press, you're, you're just focusing on the bar. You feel kind of silly, as a matter of fact, but you're focusing on form, and you're developing muscle memory, and then you add a little weight. Christian, we we focus on the form of learning to learn God's word and put what we have learned into practice. Only when we put what we have learned into practice does God give us the ability to grow in increasing levels of obedience. You may say, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I don't know whatever, or I can't, I just don't have have very good faith or trust in the Lord, or I just can't apply these. Well, that's maybe because you have not been putting the basics into practice consistently. You haven't developed the spiritual faith muscle that enables you to take on greater challenges. Does that mean you'll never be able? Absolutely not. But it does mean you start with what you have in your brain from God's word, And with the help of the body of Christ, you begin to put it into practice. And as you put it into practice, you will grow. No muscle building happens immediately. It never happens instantaneously, but it happens through deliberate repetition. Some are going to say something like, well, I don't really read. Or, well, I don't really retain what I read. I retain what I read through reading paragraphs over and over and marking it up and reading it again and writing a note in the column and reading it again and reading again and reading it again. Uh, What you're hearing is not a special skill or trick. I don't retain what I read the first time through or second time through. There are books that I love to read, but they are hard work. And so it is with God's word. But I will say to you this, even if, remember God's word is not a textbook. And so even if you don't retain what you read, you you, you might be tempted to think, oh, I'm just wasting my time. If I can't remember it, why even read it? Well, because there's an X factor that you're not considering. There's an activator in your heart when you connect your mind and your heart with the word of God. 
And that's the Holy Spirit who is given to illumine you, which means to turn on the lights. We have a storage room in our basement, and it's not a big storage room, but it's filled with lots of stuff. And it's not always the safest place to enter. And so we know we can take, we can usually, <laughs> we can usually take one step in and reach the string for the light. And then we pull that string and, oh, now I can see. The Holy Spirit acts like that in your heart and in your mind, giving you understanding with his word. And so the more you do it and you commit yourself to the spirit of God in it, there are times where you'll read something and the spirit will go, click. You're like, I've read that 12 times. It just clicked. Because that's how God's word works with our minds and, and with our hearts. But even if you feel like you don't retain anything that you read, I want to read a quote from D.L. Moody. Uh, if I can find it on here. D.L. Moody said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet turned on. Right? If you've got something with a hole in it and your desire is to fill it up, well, then what do you need to do? Well, your intake of water needs to be faster, more than the output of the hole. And let me just tell you, friend, you and I, we got lots of holes. You and I, we got lots of output of stuff that we're not remembering. So that means what? It means that our intake needs to be greater. Our time with the Lord needs to be more. Our, it needs to be committed. It needs to be full of effort. And here's what will happen. Like when you bake and you put baking soda into a recipe, you need an activator, right? It, it's, it's, maybe it's buttermilk or maybe it's uh, lemon juice. You pour that, uh, the way I do it is, in case you care, I always like take a spoon or whatever I'm doing with and I, I make like a little pool so it all stays where I need it to stay. I don't know if this actually matters or not, but I do it. And I put in the baking soda and then I grab the lemon juice and I go in and I just pour whatever amount I'm supposed to pour. Usually a little bit more because for some reason that just seems like it ought to work. But, and it, it starts to fizzle, right? The word of God with the Holy Spirit of God is activated by one another. The spirit of God inside of a person is like a magnet drawn to his word. And the spirit of God, when reading the word of God, begins to activate. And then you can stir it up. And what is supposed to happen with the recipe will happen. Unless you've messed up somewhere else. That's another sermon. But, <laughs> Or maybe you think of it like J.B. Weld. You've got these two chemical components that are supposed to hold two things together that really need to stay together. And you, you squeeze the little bottles, you put it together, you stir it up, and then you apply it quickly and accurately and set it in a place where it can hold. The Word of God... And the Spirit of God, when brought together, activate one another. And you will have understanding, you will have insight, you will have wisdom, you will have conviction, you will have blessing, you will find joy, even if you think, I'm going to forget it as soon as I read it. Do not underestimate the living power of the Word of God with the Holy Spirit. God's promises are, are personal, right? We're saying remembering God's promises gives us purpose. Why? Because they're personal. God doesn't just put promises out in the universe for anyone. God gives promises to people, 
I mean, just think about the fact that you and I have the privilege of holding here the word of God, the perfect word of God without any error in its original languages, right? Without any error. Now, sure, there's translations and again, another conversation there, but you hold a reliable copy of the word of God in your language. What an incredible blessing. And God, who created everything, knelt down as though talking to a child and said, hey, guess what I'm going to show you? And they go, what? Well, why? Well, because you got down on their level. Because you changed your tone of voice. Because you looked at them in the eye and you said, I am going to show you something. God created the world and he communicated with people, personal individuals that extend to you and me. When God gave his promise to Abraham, God had already given Abraham his purpose for Abraham. Now listen, Abraham's purpose is not the same as your purpose or my purpose. In fact, you and I are beneficiaries of Abraham's purpose. But God gave Abraham a promise that he would bless all nations through him. And then God miraculously gave, gave Abraham and Sarah a son. And there's other stuff in there, right? They, they thought, oh, this isn't working how we think it's going to work. So let's try it our own way. Ever been there? Man, I've been there. But even past all of that, God renews his promise to him, calls Abraham back to faith and says, Abraham, I want you to kill your son as a sacrifice to the Lord. Wait, what? Okay, you're going you're gonna to make a nation of people for yourself and you're going to use me to be the father of many nations and it's going to happen through this one particular son. And you want me to do what to him? You want me to sacrifice him? Okay. They got their folks, they got the wood, they got the fire and they headed for the place of sacrifice. And on their way, Isaac's like looking around, he's like, I've helped pack these things up before. Like, I know what we're supposed to have, and I don't see it. Dad, uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I don't know if he gulped Abraham or if he just was calm and collected and said, the Lord himself will provide a lamb for the offering. Okay, and there they go. Off they go. Hebrews tells us a little bit that Abraham knew that God raises the dead. And so maybe Abraham is thinking either something like, well, God will stop me before we do it, or more probably, because that's what Hebrews leads us to think, well, if I kill my son, God can raise him from the dead. And God keeps his promises, and I've learned not to try to do it on my own way, according to my own wisdom. So I'm going to trust God. And I have every intention of going and sacrificing my son. God's personal promises are spoken to specific people and you and I, so long as there's not a a time-bound restriction in in the context, right? And Abraham and, and many others who followed Abraham Noah, the Lord told Noah to build an ark, a massive ark. 
It's going to rain. It's going to what? Well, you'll see. Just build a really big boat, exactly like I tell you. Got it. Mocked, probably, ridiculed. Eight people, and every animal that God wanted on that boat made it to that ark. Why? Because Abraham believed, uh, Noah believed God, and he acted accordingly. And so God's personal promises make or cause you. That's what he says here. Remember their word to your servant in which you have made me hope. That word hope is an expectation. I have a purpose from the Lord and I have an expectation because of what I know of God through reading about the testimonies of older saints, former saints, and because of my own limited experience in my relationship with the Lord. God's going to carry it out. God's going to make it happen. God's going to do it. Well, how? I have no idea. That's not my job. My job is to take a step. I want to ask you, friend, understanding you have a purpose from God to invite as many friends as you can home. Are there ways in your life where you are failing to follow God in obedience because you don't understand how it's going to work? The New Testament says that we need to walk by faith. Well, the whole Bible says that we need to walk by faith not by sight. Faith is having a confident expectation that what God promises will come to fruition because he's God. And so our purpose in this life is tied to the salvation that God has brought to us knowing that you and I will not be overcome. We will not be overtaken by the difficulties in this life. We're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be struck down. We're not going to be destroyed by the struggles in this life. Listen, friends, <clears throat> they will be hard. They will be painful. They will bring tears. They will bring doubts. But you know what? You will not be destroyed in this world. Excuse me, in eternity. You will not be struck down with any lasting effect. You will be supported. You will be strengthened in this and the life to come. Now, that doesn't mean everything that happens on earth goes well for you. People die. People are murdered. People have accidents. Christians throughout generations have been killed because they stand for God but their soul is saved. And Jesus said, do not fear him who restores both body and soul. Don't, don't fear, excuse me, don't fear the enemy who cannot save your soul. Fear the Lord, walk with the Lord. Our purpose, the Christian's purpose, you can say this many ways, but our purpose is to live in such a way that God's salvation of our souls brings faith-filled obedience. That's action, right? It's belief leading to action. The salvation of our souls brings faith-filled obedience, personal and corporate together praise, and public testimony to a lost and dying world that God's ways are best because he is best. You might say it like this. Our church vision is to reach and teach and live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. 
That's our mission. That's our purpose in this life. It's not to build a bigger home. It's not to go on, on uh, wonderfully great vacations. And none of these things are, are wrong in and of themselves, by the way. I just want to say we need to understand what's our purpose and what are maybe ancillary parts of this life. And the psalmist is living this life and he's being, he's being derided. He's being ridiculed. He's being mocked by those who are arrogant, who think they are above him, right? And they're, they're proud people. And when pride leads to scorning and scoffing, people mock those that they think are beneath them. They mock those that they think are beneath them. Parents, as we're training our children, as we're raising them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, let's help them go beyond don't talk that way. Don't tease other people. Let's help them see that there's a pride in their heart that's leading them to think they're better than someone. Therefore, they can put someone else down. I mean, let's help them see what the root of the issue is while they're young, right? Let's train our teenagers while they're three and four. And then we're training our 20-year-olds when they're 13, 14, instilling in them these biblical practices of learning what it means to remember God's promises that give us purpose. And so when we know, when we, we remember our purpose, verse 55 talks about a, a time of, of night. He says, I remember your name, O Lord, in the night, and I keep your law. That, that time of of, of being made fun of, of being ridiculed, of, of seeking safety from someone doing harm to you. That's that time in the night. It's a time of danger. It's a time of vulnerability. It's a time when you're, you're prone to attack. And we have an enemy in Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know when he's going to come? When you're already discouraged, when you're already down. And you, you, you have nothing left in you to be your defense. And then the enemy will strike. But we remember God's promises that we, were here for, we are here for a purpose. And when we remember our purpose, because we're remembering God's promises, we find peace because our heart is home with the Lord. Our heart is home with the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes we talk about coming alongside those that are struggling, and we talk about, uh, some, sometimes we'll use the phrase, the ministry of presence. And that's all well-intended and, and, and can be helpful. But borrowing from language of the past, we also need to take words with you, take words with us. In other words, trying to discern the right time to bring certain biblical truth to apply to someone's situation is part of what we're called to do, right? We, we, we supplement the ministry of God's word with our presence. But we can't just come and sit alone. We need to bring God's word to bear on their situation. Paul says, comfort one another with these words. What words? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking about the fact that Jesus is coming again. 
And so what's happening in this world that we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming again. We're not home yet, friends. We're not home yet, but we are home with the Lord even before we're in glory with him. Comfort one another with these words. Remind one another that you have purpose if you are in the Lord. You have have purpose. And when you remember God's faithful promises, you have peace. Remembering God's promises brings peace. This week I had a a song stuck in my head. And I I just could not get it out of my head. I mean, for days. And it was a silly song from a kid's movie. And thankfully, I can't think of it at the moment. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I'd be making something in the kitchen and all of a sudden I find myself whistling this tune and I'm like, I'm doing it again. Oh. When you know God through Jesus Christ, your heart is with God, right? Your, your, Your home is a person. And when we remember this, we have peace and it's the song we sing. It's the soundtrack for our life. We walk around say, well, I'm not a singer. Well, make noise with God's words in some way, right? Where do you find your greatest joy? Where do you find your greatest pull toward people, toward, toward things, toward purposes, toward activities? Is it, is it a pull toward the things of God? 1 John 2.15 talks about when we're not walking according to his world, we're living for the world or the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. One's from the Lord, the other is not. Do you want honor? Do you want wealth? Do you want fame? Do you want attention? Do you want pleasure? Do you want land? Do you want possessions? You and I have the privilege with the psalmist and every other biblical writer and Christian in history to lay claim that the creator of the universe is your own God. He's my own God. That is special. That ought to wake you up and tune you up in the morning. You get up and you say, I get to walk with the creator of the universe this morning. I slept. He never slept. I'm going to expend as much energy as I can today doing whatever it is that I'm going to do. He never gets tired. He never expends anything. He is unlimited, eternal, infinite supply of love, of wisdom, of energy, of strength. And when you remember that the Lord is your prize, your portion, as the psalmist says, he is my portion, 57. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promises. You see, that's not a way of saying, be gracious to me and give me the things that I want. Nope. Be gracious to me according to what you've promised. Every promise that you give me is already according to your grace. And I'm calling on you, Lord, to remember with intent to act according to your promises. And I seek to remember with intent to act according to your promises. Isaiah 26, three and four says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
That's why the Lord gave us the Psalms and this whole world word to be able to sing from, to help us remember as we sing our own soundtrack. What, what number do you want to put it on today? What track do you want to thumb through and click to today? What track from God's word do you need to give you hope, to give you encouragement, to remind you of why you're alive? Because you have purpose. And you remember God's promises, you find peace because your home is with the Lord. Your heart is his. Fully devoted to his, an undivided heart that says, God, I want to remember your laws, your precepts, your rules. When we're transformed, friends, by renewing our minds, this whole word is ours to sing. All of it. That's why it's important to sing great songs with rich truth. Colossians 3, 15 and 17, Paul gives us an exhortation and encouragement. And he says, let the peace of God, Christ, rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called as one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. The psalmist says here in verse 80, he says, I, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways... I turn my feet to your testimonies. Do you see that? When I consider my steps, when I think about what I'm going to do, when I think about what I'm doing, I direct myself toward obedience. I don't just direct myself to trying to remember the things that I've read and then doing whatever I want to do. No, I direct my feet to obedience. Well, I don't know if I go this way, if it's going to work out. Well, then you have a belief problem. Not an ability problem. You have a belief problem. Not a God problem. Your God is too small. Your God fits in your box. But God will not be contained by a box, nor a tabernacle, nor the whole universe. When he's discouraged, he's remembering, or I'm sorry, he's encouraged by remembering God's faithful promises and character. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. Discouragement, beat down, no spiritual energy to follow the Lord, no spiritual energy to feel like he can be kind toward others. I don't forget your law. It's another way of saying I I remember your law. I remember it with an intent to call it into action and to put it into practice. I remember your law at midnight. I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Hear this tone of peace. I am a companion of all who fear you. I am not alone. I'm not alone on this walk. I'm not alone in this journey. I've got friends, brothers, and sisters in the body of Christ 
Oh, you may feel like you're alone relationally. You might feel like you're alone in your life situation, but you're not alone, brother. You're not alone, sister. You've got the body of Christ, your companions. The earth, oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Everywhere I look, Everywhere I look, I see God's steadfast love. Everywhere I look, I see God's grace. I see God's mercy. I see God's provision. I see God's power. Everywhere I look, especially in your word. Everywhere I look, I see grace on top of grace. I see wisdom in my heart delight. Wherever the Lord is, as you meet him in the word, there your heart is, if you're his. And if you're not, you need only acknowledge, acknowledge your, your desire to do things on your own, acknowledge that it's wrong, and call out to the Lord and say, God, I can't save myself, only you. And so I call out to you today for salvation. I repent. Save me. God will save everyone who genuinely calls out to him for salvation. As we close, we have the privilege of remembering through action, through a little mini drama, what Jesus did in the fulfillment of all of God's promises. As he lived perfectly as he gave his life on Calvary for you, for me. He did it to help us remember. That's why he said, do this in remembrance of me. To remember, like Jesus did, that his heart is home with the Father, which is why he prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, any other way, any other way, no, not my will. Yours. Yours be done, Lord. Let's do this. Here we go. You don't have to be a, a perfect Christian, right? I mean, that's a contradiction in terms. Let's just be clear to come to this table. But if you say, I have trusted in Jesus alone for my salvation, nothing else, not Jesus plus good works. No, good works exemplify our salvation. They flow out of our salvation. You come. We have two stations up front. We've got a gluten-free communion station under that sign, just to the right of the exit station over there, exit sign over there, and two stations we'll have in the back. Come, eat, drink, remember. As we sing our, our closing song, and as we invite the worship team forward even now, they'll lead us in our concluding song. And as we do that, feel free to remain in your seat and pray for a while, or as soon as you're ready, maybe that's right away. Maybe you want to wait a couple minutes. Come, come forward and make your way to whatever station is nearest to you or wherever you feel like going and take the cup. We have two cups. One has the bread, the juice on the top and the bread on the bottom. They're stacked together. You just take that back to your seat and whenever you're ready, you can take those cups apart and eat that bread and drink the cup, which is a reminder of how Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was poured out as the sin sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're here with your family, 
Just take a moment. You're welcome to pray together. We love to encourage parents to use this time to sort of whisper share the gospel, though there's music playing. You don't have to be that quiet. Just review the gospel with your kiddos. This is a promise for you, for all your household, who will trust in the name of the Lord. Let's pray.